The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, an event in history that proved once and for all that Jesus was and is God Almighty, God the Son, Lord of all. That's the name by which he is now rightly known forever. He has been raised, he is enthroned in heaven, and he is reigning now as Lord. Jesus is Lord. However, there is also this, not instead of, in addition to, there is also this. Just before the resurrection, just before the cross, several times the Lord Jesus went out of his way to make sure that we also heard this great pronouncement as well. Jesus is deacon. Now, of course, he never quite said it like that. Jesus is deacon. That is, Jesus is servant. He did say that in Mark 10. Just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And the word used there twice is the one from which we get the word deacon. He came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he said. And then it's also what he was trying to show us as he washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Here is the Lord doing even the most lowly, the the slave work, the servant's work, the most lowly of all work, caring for the basic needs of his people, washing feet. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is slave. He is servant Deacon, if you will, to his people. He came deaconing, and he still intends to deacon his people, now from heaven by his Spirit, through all of us, and through some of us in particular, that he calls to share with him in his deacon work. And that's what brings us to our passage today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We left off here several weeks ago, having seen something of the structure that God puts in his church Chapter 2, we saw that men and women are different, and they are by God's design given different roles in the church, and what we saw there was a prohibition, in fact, that God prohibits women from teaching adult men the scriptures in the local church, and he prohibits women from having authority over, from from ruling over adult men in the local church. For more detail on that, I, I would encourage you to check out the sermon, it's online, available on our website or on our YouTube channel, but that's what we see in that passage there, that God gives a twofold prohibition that matches the twofold description of what elders do, the next role that we looked at, at the beginning of chapter 3. God has designed the church to have multiple elders that lead it, that, that manage it with authority, and that teach it the scriptures who exercise oversight and act as its guides and its leaders, elders. And then now we come to the role of deacon. And in some ways, 
this one's easier for us to understand. I mean, obviously, I just said those things about, about women and about elders and, and touches on things that are sometimes a little difficult to generate some controversy. In a lot of ways, the role of deacon is a little more straightforward, and we kind of understand it already coming to the passage. But perhaps we don't really get the beauty of this role and the Christ-like nature of this role. And so maybe we don't honor it and value it enough and aspire to it enough. So we're going to consider it today from 1 Timothy chapter 3. So I'm going to read verses 8 to 13 and then draw out two observations from the passage. And my hope is that we would, that we would learn about something about deacons and, and what they are and what they are to be. And also that we would, we would see it as sweet and Christ-like ministry and would aspire to it. So let me read the passage. This is beginning in verse 8 through verse 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 3. Two observations, and here's the first one. God has established the role of deacon to meet tangible needs in the church. God has established the role of deacon to meet tangible needs in the church. The title of deacon is, in fact, a, a very descriptive one. The word in, in English is just a transliteration of the Greek word that shows up in noun and in verb form all throughout this passage. A word that's always, whatever form it is, it's, it's always related to the idea of performing service on behalf of a higher authority to meet or, or to carry out a duty so as to care for someone or care for something. And so the deacon is the role, or we could say perhaps the office of serving or the office of care. Deacons are set-aside servants. Set-aside to do what, specifically? Well, it doesn't say specifically. Service or care, that, that's, that's like wide open language. Wide open. What would it include? Well, it, it's almost easier to say what it wouldn't include. Start there and then move on. It, it'd be easier to say it wouldn't include what the elders are called to do. Elders manage and care for the whole church. They, they exercise oversight of the whole church, especially given to spiritual shepherding matters and they teach and they pass on sound doctrine and they, they guard the truth as taught in the scriptures and they guard against false doctrine creeping in. So elders are responsible for the overall direction and the overall teaching and the overall spiritual health and vitality of the church. So therefore, deacons wouldn't be called to that. The service and the care, now that is, of course, service and care, but the service and the care of deacons is going to be of a different nature. It's going to be about other things in other ways. 
We see an example, perhaps, in Acts chapter 6. The early church, if you're probably familiar with that passage, but if you were to turn and look at it, you'd see in Acts chapter 6, the early church first setting up sort of an impromptu prototype of this elder-deacon division of labor. They're not called elders and deacons there, but it's sort of a, of a prototype. You see there that in the face of a tangible need in the church involving widows and food, the apostles continued, they, they saw it, they heard about it, and they, they then decided to continue to give their focus, their attention to service that is of a more spiritual nature, and less tangible. They're going to pray and continue to teach and preach the scriptures, and then acting like elders in that way. And then there are other leaders that are identified, raised up, and employed in caring for that food need for those widows. Kind of like deacons. So that's helpful in showing us what deacons may do, but really deacons could be tasked to do just about anything. Just about anything that needs to be done for the welfare of the church and its people. So, care for facilities, paying bills and counting money, coordinating programs, either themselves or recruiting others to help with it. It, it could just be anything and everything. Care for, serving for, the tangible good of God's people according to God's standards by God's power as God's servants. Whatever they're doing, it's all about God. It's God's ways and God's goals and God's people and God's power. It's for him. Because really when we're looking at a good deacon, we're seeing Jesus continuing on with the ministry that he began when he was here bodily on the earth. He came to deacon. He came and he carried out a ministry of physical compassion and humanity restoring mercy for years. If you think about that, that's what Jesus did for years. We preach the gospel of Luke, you see it. Crowds and individuals and small groups and crowds and individuals and small groups. Jesus then with them and attentive to them, caring for them compassionately, restoring humanity. And in the end, then he wrapped a towel around his waist to make the example explicit. In little bitty ways, in small ways, we see him fixing a meal for his apostles. In larger ways, we see him feeding thousands of people multiple times. And then in the grandest of all ways, we see him serving as he lays down his life. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Clearly, what he, what he came for primarily, he's about the cross, of course. But you see, he casts it there as an act of service. I've come to serve. I've come, here at the, even at the pinnacle of what his mission is about, the self-sacrificing service to his people, his sheep, so as to wash them clean from their sin. Let me give you an illustration. As I wash the dirt off of your feet... And he asked them, do you understand, he said this in Luke 13, do you understand what I've done for you? You're picking up what I'm laying down here. I care about 
people, and I really, really, really care about my people. And I'm going to lay down my life in service to them, to care for them, and to love them into life. In every possible way. Into full and abundant real life wholeness. I want them made well. So I, the Lord, am going to lay down my life as a servant. A deacon, if you will. And then from now on, I'm going to do it through you, which is why he told the apostles, he told the church this. That's what I'm calling you to. All, all of us, of course. We're all called to that. That's, he, tells the, he tells the apostles because he's telling the whole church because that's supposed to be all of us caring for and loving and serving for sure. Every Christian is supposed to be about that, including elders. So I'm not trying to draw hard lines here and say we're talking about the role of a deacon and deacons are the only people ever who only serve and care and nobody else does in any possible ways. Of course not. But God has designed this office so that in the church there is always some ones who will be always available to carry out the needed caring and the needed serving that God knows his people need. And that God wants to provide for them. Actually serving him in his church. Not first and foremost serving people. Serving him in his church. Like Jesus started to, and like Jesus now does through these particularly identified and called out ones. That's what the deacon role essentially is. And that's what makes it uniquely difficult. Because I said some things that are like always available. All of the needs that are always needing to be done for all the people. The, the all is the hard part. So not just some people some of the time not just when it's convenient or personally moving or relationally understandable. Here's what I mean. Think of someone in the church that you know well and connect with. Think of someone. Got that person? Okay, so that person just suffered a broken leg and needs some help around the house. Well, you probably already heard about that naturally because your friends probably called you. And you probably know where that person lives and you're comfortable going there and you're going to do so automatically without being asked to because you're friends. And of course you're going to skip the hiking trip that you and your family had planned on Saturday because they need help and they're your friends. Of course. So friends do. And so that friend's need is going to be met tangibly. Concrete help provided for them by you, your, the, your friend. Good. Now, imagine someone in the church you don't know at all. Or know but find a little difficult to connect with. Yeah, I know you got to imagine this because there's nobody like that in this church. But imagine somebody who is a little difficult to connect with. 
that guy. That guy, you don't even know he broke his leg. Nobody does. Or, if you happen to hear about it somehow, we're a little bit secretly thankful that we already had a hiking trip planned on Saturday that the kids are really looking forward to, and so I've got to go, and I'm not raising my hand. I'm busy. But the deacon already has his hand raised. Raised it years ago when he became a deacon. And in his particular sphere of responsibility, that deacon's hand, he walks around hand raised, proactive. So he finds out about that broken leg. Not just reactive, but, but proactive in the particular sphere of, of responsibility. Proactive, stepping into, looking for, searching for needs to be met, for, for issues to be resolved, for things that need to be done, for care that needs to be provided. Hand raised, searching. And so he gets stuck with that guy. Bummer for him. A lost Saturday. And that guy's double cranky because his leg really hurts, right? Too bad for him. Is, is that how we think about the service in the church. I, I know we're not supposed to. I'm asking, is it really how we think about that? I'm glad somebody else did it. I mean, it's good that it's gotten done, but I really didn't want to do that myself. I may be wrong about this, but I think that one of the issues in many churches and potentially in ours is that there's, there's a divide between the people who are, are well-known and well-connected when, when their issues arise, they're met by the people to whom they are well-known and connect with. And then maybe some of the others less so. In other words, do, are, we, are we really that much different than the world? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting maybe. Because sometimes I hear, sometimes I hear, they often come as complaints, they often come as frustrations from that guy who says, nobody came to help me. And I think, well... Hmm. So maybe right here we... We check ourselves and say, is that actually my attitude towards service and help and care in the church? Is that how I think of it? And probably right there, that's why we need verse 13. I do know I have a passage in front of me. I'm going to preach the passage. I'm aware of that. It's now getting to verse 13. Look at verse 13. If we're thinking of service kind of like I was just maybe wondering if we do. What we're doing is we're looking at the service and seeing in it a whole bunch of loss. A lost Saturday, lost time, lost resources, awkwardness of dealing with people that I don't really connect with already, difficulty, pain, loss. Eh. And God puts in verse 13 here to show us gain. It stands out in particular because there's nothing like it in the elder section that comes before. It's only in the deacon section at the very end, the last statement. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain two things. The loss is going to be clear enough. We're, we're going to see the loss. They're going to be well aware of the, the cost of serving. But look at what you gain. A good standing for themselves. That is a good reputation in the church. Maybe even outside the church, depending on setting. In a good church, people are going to see that kind of service and, and that kind of, of hand-raised, proactive initiative, and they're going to respect it and honor it and admire it and realize, as we realize, that looks a lot like Jesus. That looks a lot like the Lord who laid down his life humble and self-sacrificing to give loving care. That looks a lot like Jesus. There's dignity, godliness in action. Stepping forward, seeking out what's needed. It's fine to seek that sort of commendation. God put it here so that we would understand that this is actually real. As long as we understand verse 9, which we'll come to eventually, and we realize that my life is in Christ, not in the approval of people. If we got that right, then it's right. It's right to realize. That's why he put it here. This is a path of honor in the church. It looks like loss. It actually is gain. A good deacon serving well brings honor brings a high standing to himself in the household of God. There's gain there. And such service actually brings deep assurance of your own Christian life and your own heart. The second half of that. It's a little supernatural, it's a little harder to explain. We lay down our lives to serve people in Jesus' name for Jesus' honor. I think what Paul's trying to get at here is that something happens inside of us. We get in touch with what's really important and true. The faith. Not my own personal faith, the faith. This gains great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You raise your hand and you step forward into need. You step forward into caring for people. And what you step into, what you encounter, are all of the eternal realities of people. And sin and suffering and fallenness and hardship and difficulty and redemption and relief restoration and satisfaction and life and glory and beauty. You step into a whole bunch of things, all that stuff that's real. You step into and you connect with somebody in, the, in their life. You perform something that, that actually needs to be done. And what you find there is the realities of life. And, that, and what I think what he's saying is that supernaturally what settles into us is this is true. This is what is really most important and I'm in it. I'm in it with him. He's in it with me, in me. 
and a bold, confident, resting assurance rises out of that. I'm trying to describe something that I think probably many of us have experienced. I certainly have. I leave what I thought I was doing, what I thought was most important for the day, and I step into a situation where I I encounter other people, and I realize this is what's real. And God is in this, and God is at work, and God is using me. And a a confidence, an assurance comes to your heart in a way very different from sitting on the sofa and thinking about God. Acting with him. Engaging with his desire for people. With him. It gains us a great confidence, a, a boldness, a surety. This is the truth and this is real and I'm in it with him. You look at these two things, these two gains here in verse 13, you say, I think I've been thinking about service wrong. I, I thought it was limiting my, my hiking on Saturday and taking my time away from me, but actually what it was providing me, if I would have stepped into it, was a, was a great reputation and a great confidence. There was great gain in serving in general and particularly as a deacon. This is in the passage about deacons. This is a, a role worth aspiring to. So now let's think about some qualifications. This is the second observation. Mature Christians of proven character may serve as deacons. Mature Christians of proven character may serve as deacons. Most of the passage, which we haven't dealt with yet, come to it now because most of the passage is really dealing with qualifications. Verse 8 begins with the word likewise, which confirms something that what we're looking at here is actually pretty similar to what we saw about the elders. Very similar qualifications. So that an overseer or an elder must be above reproach, must be well thought of by outsiders. Well, likewise, deacons too must be dignified. That is, they must be mature and the kind of people that others look at and say, there's a person worthy of respect. Which if we were to add on to that would mean not double-tongued, not deceitful or hypocritical or two-faced not given to too much drinking, and, and not greedy for dishonest gain. Kind of steps through those there in the first couple of verses, first couple of sentences. And we could add on to that, verse 12, what we saw up above with the elders, we see it down there again. Husband of one wife. That is, a one-woman man. Which doesn't mean, if you recall this from a few weeks ago, it doesn't mean that he has to be married doesn't even mean that couldn't ever have been divorced, although divorce would be important to look at and consider and think about in the process, but it's not saying it's an automatic disqualifier because really he's not talking about that. What he means is given to one woman, not chasing many. Committed, faithful to one, not chasing many. The person we're looking for 
isn't grasping for life and grasping for meaning and pleasure and significance in women or relationships or money and what it buys or alcohol and how it gives us escape and gives us like a thin pleasure. Not reaching for it and grasping after all that. And why not? Because the person actually has a hold of something else already. Rather is held by something else. Verse 9. They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What we're really looking for, and from the outside, what, what we're looking to, to grow into, so we would be people who meet these qualifications, because really, these are not just like special, unique qualifications for how to be an elder or, or deacon. It's Christian maturity. We all should look at these qualifications and say, yeah, that's, that's what I want to be about. That's what I'm after. And what we're after, the, the kind of person we want to become or the kind of person we're looking for is not someone who just has certain external behaviors or, or lacks them, you know, doesn't drink. Good, okay, good enough. No, that's not it. We're looking for something beyond the surface. We're looking for something on the inside. Must be people who hold, who actually have who, who possess and are possessed by, not just kind of understand intellectually, but get it. Hold the mystery of the faith. That is, all that was unclear, mysterious, kind of confusing beforehand in the Old Testament times, but has now been gloriously revealed, cleared up. Well, what's, what's the mystery that was cleared up? The mystery of how it is that God, how can God, how can God deal with human sin in a righteous and just way and yet also be forgiving and merciful? How can that be? It's a mystery. And then his answer to that is also mysterious. How can God come to earth to become shepherd of his people? How can he do that? And the answer is he can do all of that mystery made clear as God becomes the man Jesus. As God goes to the cross, God the Son, to die for sin, to pay it and wipe it away and bring us to life and put us into union with him forever, to make us clean, to, to take care of sin, to forgive us now and draw us to walk on with him in life. The mystery, to put it simply, is the gospel. Christ crucified for sin. That's the mystery of the faith. And we're looking for someone who gets that. Who really grasps it. Holds tight to it and depends on it. Is that you? I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm laying out the mystery and many of, many of you sit there and say, I, I knew that. I saw where that was going. I understand the mystery. I know it. That's not what I asked. Do you hold it? Do you hold it? Do you hold it? That's what I asked. Is that you? Does it hold you? I, 
I'm certain that most of us here, I don't know everybody here, but most of us here could say, yeah, I, I might not have written it exactly like you just wrote it, but, I, but having seen it written out, I could check it off, check it off, check it off. Does it hold you? Such that you get up in the morning and you walk through life. I'm not talking about perfectly, but I'm talking about a walk through life that is a step-by-step moving, conscious of, thankful for, dependent on, hoping in, Christ lording over me as the great servant to me that meets all of my needs, that sees what I need and cares for me in my lack and my loss, my hurt, my emptiness, my confusion. He cares for me as a servant to me, and he really does, 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 does care for me because he's the Lord also. If that's you, and if that grips you, and what you walk out in life with a clear conscience, not just saying it on the outside, but actually believing it on the inside, walking consistent with that, what happens is that verse 8 comes out of you. Increasingly so. Verse 8 comes out of you because you're not giving your life away to the world, but you're finding it in him. The Lord who is your servant. That's what we're looking for, all of us. It's what we're all looking for, to become those kinds of people And that kind of person, you know, slightly more than average, someone who's got a little bit longer track record in that, that kind of person who walks with God in a dignified way, trusting him, that's what we're looking for. That's the one that God wants to call apart and say, in my name, in my ways, in my power, I'm going to employ you to care for my people. We look at their lives. We, we look at the outside. We look at their home life. It recommends that in verse 12. We all show up on the outside, but we're not looking for just behaviors on the outside. We're looking for an inside heart that rests in God and his promises and doesn't chase life elsewhere. That's the kind of person who is dependent on God, the kind of person that God will use to press God's goals into God's people and meet their needs in Jesus' name. Those are the requirements. That's what we're looking for in a person. Who are we looking at? Are we looking only at men? Are we also looking at women? Can women be deacons? Or is this role reserved for qualified men only similar to the role of elder? This is a debated question. Set that up. Up front, it's debated. Maybe you disagree with me. And if we do disagree on this, what I want to say is I'm going to argue for one position, but if we disagree, peace. (laughs) But I think it goes one way. So we'll see. Verse 11 in my English Bible reads, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, Sober-minded, faithful in all things. Seems, if you read that, seems like we're talking about the wives of deacons saying that they too must be likewise dignified and meet essentially the same qualifications as the deacon. 
And that's how most take this passage. That verse 11 is given as a further qualification. When we're looking at who we should, who we should identify, who we're looking for to be a deacon, a set-aside minister of a deacon, then we also need to look at their wives. The character of the deacon's wife affects our decision. Maybe. But I think not. Verse 11 does not actually have the word there, T-H-E-I-R, in the text. You probably have a footnote in your Bible that points that out. So the verse just says, wives likewise. Or maybe we should say women likewise. Because in verse 12, you remember, husband of one wife, I keep saying, or one woman man, because the word for wife and woman, and conversely, man and husband, it's the same word. There isn't a particular special word for wife. It's just the word for woman. There isn't a particular special word for husband. It's just the word for man. And context tells you, are we talking about wives or women? And maybe the context of verse 12, the very next verse, tells us we're talking about wives. Maybe. But it could be just women. And I think we need to consider the whole context, not just the following context, but the previous context as well. So I'm now looking backwards before verse 11, and I notice two things. First, the prohibition, the prohibition against women that we saw in chapter 2 was specific. It was related to teaching and exercising authority over men, the two key roles of an elder, not of a deacon. He gives a prohibition, a twofold prohibition, and then talks about elders right after that, puts those two, those two roles right in the elder section. And so there isn't actually anything specifically written that would prohibit women from being deacons, just from being elders. And furthermore, there's nothing in the elder qualifications. I think this is actually more important. Furthermore, there's nothing in the elder qualifications that matches verse 11 in the deacon qualifications. If we're talking about wives, then what verse 11 says, understand this, what verse 11 would say then is, choose a deacon based in part on what that deacon's wife's character is. But choose an elder without regard to his wife at all. Choose a pastor who are elders without any regard to his wife at all. I find that odd. The argument is, is raised that the wives of deacons will be just as involved in the deacon's work. They're going to be like a, a team engaging with deacon work, and so it's important that they also be just as qualified as the deacon. Well, that sounds to me like an argument that has never thought about an elder's wife. And how an elder's wife or a pastor's wife influences the whole ministry of the entire church. It's extremely important, and I would argue more important, that an elder or a pastor's wife be dignified. That an elder's wife not be a slanderer. That she be sober-minded and faithful in all things. Yet Paul never says that in the elder qualification section. And I think the reason he never says that is he's not talking about wives, actually. 
In verse 11, he's actually talking about women who would be deacons. Or deaconesses, if you prefer. We don't, we don't need to get a different word for it that's more feminine, but if you want, that's okay. I think his thinking goes like this. Most deacons are going to be men, and historically most deacons have been men, even in our church. The last 14 or so years, we have allowed women to be deacons. We put women's names just the same as men on the nomination forms. We invite women to be deacons, and I think in the last 14 years, we've had two. Historically, most deacons are men. And so Paul's thinking like that, but then in verse 11, he, he nods, Women, likewise, same qualifications. If you want to make a woman a deacon, same standards. But that's not going to be common. So back to talking like we're evaluating men. Deacon's got to be a one-woman man, etc. I think that's his thought process. And others have thought so too. There have always been female deacons in the New Testament church, including even, I think, Romans 16.1, talking about Phoebe. A servant in the church, the word's deacon. A servant in the church in Sincrea. That's why I'm arguing that what's required is simply mature Christians of proven elder-like quality. But women are included in that. If you disagree with me, as I said, peace. But I think what I've tried to show is that I'm arguing that from the Bible, not from the culture. Maybe we disagree, but we just exhausted the biblical evidence. There's not a lot in the Bible about it. But I think women can be deacons. We have several great deacons serving in our church already. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that and say thank you and give honor and respect to that. While also pointing out, we could probably use a few more, particularly to deal with the more people-oriented needs. Maybe God would stir that in you and equip you to it and call, it, call you to it. Think about that. But for all of us, the, the question that I'm, I'm trying to raise for all of us is, how do you view, how do you view service and care and help in the church for God in his church. Maybe I could say deaconing with a lowercase d. When Christ laid down his life for you, he did that to put away your sin and to secure for you a life. Both. Put away your sin and to secure for you a life. To free you from serving yourself, from, from the perceived need that I have to serve myself because I have to serve myself to look out for number one, nobody else is going to, and to free you from, from looking around at others and expecting them to serve you, to free you from that and for you to an active, loving, hand-raising, sacrificial, intentional life of service towards others. to enable you to, like him, spend your life not looking to be served, but to serve and to give your life for others. Do 
there is a great gain in that calling. So take him up on that. Maybe some particularly as deacons, but all of us in service to God in his church, living to meet the needs of those in this body. Take him up on that. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful. As was prayed earlier, I'm thankful that in, in many ways you have put in a lot of our hearts a desire to serve and do good to the people in this congregation. Thank you for that. Will you move us towards that still more? Move us towards that still more. Move us towards the, the needs that are difficult and, and complicated and move us towards the people who are difficult and complicated for us. So much of that's determined by personality, but move all of us, Lord, towards your people, towards your desire to care for, not just spiritually, but also materially and physically care for your church. Thank you for showing us the model of that in Jesus. Thank you for freeing us to this lifestyle in him. Now move us to follow him, we pray. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.